Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, October 27th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And it's much easier now, Jill, that you're back. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, and it's so good to be back. I loved getting all the messages from everybody on Instagram. Much appreciated. Okay, let's get to some headlines here. The great debates less than two weeks from the midterms. Candidates in some of the biggest races in the country met face to face to make their case to voters. A guilty verdict after a very bizarre trial for the man who drove his SUV into a Christmas parade and killed six people last year. And would you choose a middle seat on the airplane if it meant that you could win some sweet prizes? Mosh, you're the big traveler here. I can't wait to hear your take on this one. Yeah, I'm coming to you right now. We're recording this. Uh, I'm in a random conference room here at the Westin at LAX airport, about to take off and head back east. But (laughs) I'm very lucky as of right now, I'm not in a middle seat for this flight. Um, Okay, let's start with some politics here and the Pennsylvania Senate race, which could very well determine which party controls the Senate. The fallout continues after Democrat John Fetterman, who's currently the lieutenant governor and Republican, Dr. Mehmet Oz, facing off Tuesday night. It was their first and only debate. Fetterman still is having some communication difficulties following a recent life-threatening stroke that he had back in May. It was the voters' first chance to see him in this unscripted hour-long debate format and decide whether or not they're comfortable sending him to D.C. on their behalf. Mosh, admittedly, it was somewhat hard to watch part of this debate. Fetterman clearly struggling to answer some questions. He used closed captioning as an accommodation. He started his first answer by saying, good night, everybody. For his part, Oz coming across a bit harsh. He may have lost some points for his answer about abortion. He said that as a doctor, he's been in the room when these decisions get made and federal lawmakers shouldn't be involved. But then he said the decision should be made by women, doctors and local political leaders, which you can already see Democrats taking that soundbite for a campaign ad. In the aftermath of this debate, though, lots of questions about why Fetterman's campaign even agreed to it. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the, the soundbite Democrats are taking is that abortion soundbite, mainly because there's not much to take from Fetterman's performance. Now, Fetterman's uh, campaign was under a lot of pressure to do this debate. It is very typical in state races to engage in a debate. You know, it's been a tradition now for, you know, a couple centuries now in American politics to debate your opponent, uh, even though one could argue that what you do in the Senate really is just give speeches to nobody. There's no actual debate really happening these days. Either way, clearly the Fetterman campaign felt, you know, they had to do this. Um, The big issue, I think, is that I don't think anyone quite understood, uh, you know, the difficulties he's still having. Um, Again, they say it's not cognitive. It's just processing and then speaking now, you know, just four months after his stroke, he was halting his delivery. He misspoke repeatedly. You know, he didn't really engage in much specifics. He was trying to clearly recall memorized lines here. Um, I I want to play one of his responses that is getting a lot of attention that kind of speaks to this. Uh, He got a question about fracking uh, that's getting some attention. Let's play it. I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Okay. 
So you clearly hear him there uh, struggling. Uh, and obviously, one of the issues Fetterman faces here, Jill, is that he's going against Dr. Oz. He's a media-savvy TV host who knows how to speak succinctly uh, to camera. If it was Fetterman facing a less media-savvy candidate or a less good speaker, uh, I think the contrast would be less stark. Uh, but, you know, it's a big issue here because Fetterman and Oz are neck and neck, and uh, this is two weeks till polls. And not to mention, about 500,000 people already voted in this race, and I, I think it also leads to some questions about the media and whether the media has been going easy on Fetterman. His campaign's granted a handful of interviews to somewhat friendly outlets. Last week, though, NBC reporter Dasha Burns got huge backlash after she said that Fetterman had trouble with chit-chat before her interview. Uh, that was without captioning. And she said, quote, it wasn't clear that he was understanding our conversation. Again, uh, reporters pounced. Kara Swisher, who I'm a, a big fan of, actually, she herself had a stroke. She tweeted, sorry to say, but I talked to John Fetterman for over an hour without stop or any aids, and this is just nonsense. Maybe this reporter is just bad at small talk. The problem here, I, I think it could look like perhaps his campaign and some reporters haven't been totally honest about his condition because they probably could have just acknowledged what's going on, that he's still having some trouble communicating, because it doesn't necessarily disqualify him from the race and, and from being a good senator. Right. There's a big discussion here in regards to the issue of ableism, right? That, you know, he's cognitively there. He just is having trouble with speaking. And so people are like, well, you know, that shouldn't be um, uh, basically a disqualifier. I think the issue is expectations here. Um, and keep in mind, by the way, Jill, this was the first time many people are seeing him speak. He's been doing campaign events. Uh, and if you listen and watch some of those events, he was actually much more eloquent at those events when he's not dealing with uh, the bright lights, 30 seconds, uh, going back and forth with an opponent. Uh, obviously, the pressure was on him last night. And just bottom line, it wasn't a great performance, especially when you compare it to other previous public appearances. So this is not how he is at all settings. This is, appears to be how he was at a at a debate setting. Uh, one of the issues that has come out, though, is that they're calling for him. There are calls for him to release his medical records. He's not releasing his medical records. That came up last night. Uh, again, they're releasing quotes from his doctors, but not his phone medical records. Uh, I was getting notes on my Instagram account today from uh, speech pathologists and various folks who've worked with stroke victims who say, again, this is not an issue of comprehension in this case. It just appears like he just needs to go through more therapy in terms of Again, processing and then speaking, which is why Dasha Burns, uh, you know, in his interviews with NBC folks and others, he uses this a closed captioning system to be able to read and help him process what people are saying. Uh, I should note, by the way, one final thing. This is not the only stroke situation we've seen in the U.S. Senate in the past few years. Uh, the senator from my uh, home state, Mark Kirk uh, of Illinois, actually had a stroke while he was a senator in 2012, actually took a year to recover, tried to uh, get reelected in 2016, and notably, and this leads to your media question, the Chicago Tribune, when they endorsed his opponent, Tammy Duckworth, in 2016 um, against him, he actually used the stroke uh, against Mark Kirk, saying he's clearly not able to perform fully perform his job anymore. So it is interesting kind of where the discussion was six years ago, where we are today, and given how neck and neck things are in Pennsylvania, um, how much is this going to end up mattering to voters? Okay, Joe, let's head across the border here uh, over in the state of New York, our state where uh, both of us are voting in a couple of weeks. Uh, in New York on Wednesday night, Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul faced off with Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin of Long Island, 
big issues in the state right now, crime and abortion, similar to what we're seeing in other places, but crime, obviously a particular issue in New York City. Yeah, Zeldin really hitting Hochul for opposing any additional revision to the state's bail reform and parole system. Zeldin says if elected, he would immediately remove the progressive Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg from office. He has said he wasn't going to prosecute some low-level offenses. For her part, Hochul trying to highlight her efforts to tighten gun laws and stop illegal guns from entering the state. And a reminder here, this is come, should come as no surprise, New York is a very blue state, a very democratic state. So the fact that this is actually a competitive race that we're starting to watch here speaks to the resonance that crime is really happening, or the perception of crime, depending, we could have a whole separate podcast talking about crime numbers, uh, what's up, what's down, percentages. We're not back in the 80s, Democrats like to say, but you know, Republicans like to say, uh, well, we're still higher than we were a few years ago. Back to the debate here for a second. Uh, Hochul did say that she has tightened bail reforms, which is a huge controversy. Uh, you know, people effectively the bail reform laws allowing uh, criminals back out in the streets, especially when it comes to smaller crimes. Uh, and that's been hugely controversial. So she says uh, in the debate that she's tightened bail reforms. And then getting to this issue that Zeldin brought up of firing the Manhattan DA, I was looking into this. The state constitution actually does provide a mechanism from removing certain public officials, including DAs, but the process is very complicated, not as simple as Zeldin says. You can't just fire uh, Bragg, who's an elected position, by the way. Uh, his term uh, runs until 2025. By the way, he's also the first African-American district attorney in Manhattan. So this could end up being a very prolonged uh, legal fight if Zeldin is elected and tries to fire the DA. And then beyond crime, the issue of abortion came up. Keep in mind here that uh, there's no doubt about Democrats continuing to hold the state legislature. So not much can happen here. But abortion is still an issue for the governor's office. Hochul said Zeldin would try to roll back the state's abortion protections. Zeldin promised that he would not seek to unilaterally change the state law with regard to abortion. And again, uh, the Democrats hold the state legislature. So there's not much the governor can do. But it is an issue that continues to resonate. Though, Jill, I'll note that Democrats continue to bring up the abortion issue because they believe and they see it resonating with a certain group of voters. But when you look at a list of issues, a state by state and nationally now, abortion really falls five, six, seventh uh, on the list. Uh, You know, economy, crime, inflation, much uh, more important to voters right now. Especially, I think, in a a state like New York, where it's so solidly blue and the legislature is so solidly blue that I, I don't know if voters are necessarily worried about it, at least from the governor's seat. I, I do want to mention, interestingly, with uh, Alvin Bragg, who with the DA from Manhattan, even um, Tom Swazi, who is a Democrat who wanted to who who primaried against Hochul, he had said that he wanted to remove uh, Bragg as well. And I think that that just speaks to how big of a deal crime is right now, especially in cities like New York, and just people. It's it's a top issue. Uh, people don't feel safe riding the subway, walking alone at night, and they want action. And in New York City, Bragg has actually had to walk back his initial plan. Uh, He had come in uh, promising that he wouldn't prosecute certain crimes and had to walk that back pretty quickly because even the mayor was like, dude, like, this is an issue here. We need to be prosecuting more people. That's the perception even among Democrats. Is actually one of the reasons New York City voters last year put Eric Adams in, who happens to be a former uh, police uh, officer uh, against some of his more liberal opponents. By the way, somebody watching this very closely, folks, is Andrew Cuomo. Uh, he has launched a podcast recently, first episode with Anthony Scaramucci, notably. And uh, there's a part of him 
uh, that you kind of think might be rooting for Hochul to lose because it'll mean that his comeback as governor of New York could happen quicker. Uh, Keep in mind, Hochul got her job after Cuomo resigned last year. Yeah, I do not think that we have heard the last of Andrew Cuomo, Mosh. <laughs> uh, switching gears, a jury has found Daryl Brooks, the man who drove an SUV into a Christmas parade in Wisconsin back in November of 2021, guilty of 76 counts, including six counts of first-degree intentional homicide. He faces a mandatory life sentence for each homicide count. The jury deliberated for three hours and 15 minutes. He killed an eight-year-old boy named Jackson Sparks and five others, including members of the Dancing Grannies. They were performing in the parade. He hit 68 people. Can you think about that? 60, I mean, I... It's really incredible. That's wild, okay? It's like, I think about just in terms of driving, if I nick, you know, something, I, I... it makes my heart drop. He had 68 people and kept on going. Um, the guy, Daryl Brooks, he was released from jail two weeks before he ran over the parade goers. That was a domestic abuse case in which he allegedly ran over a woman who said that she is the mother of his child. He'd been out on a thousand dollar bail that prosecutors later acknowledged was quote, inappropriately low. Mosh, uh, you posted on Instagram, insane video of this guy in court. Yeah, so this is the deal with this trial, and it really has made what is a tragic situation in Waukesha even worse, um, that these people dealt with this tragedy in their community, and they had to watch him defend himself. So Brooks had previously pled not guilty by insanity, but his public defenders withdrew that insanity plea. The attorneys later filed a motion to withdraw from the case, and the judge ruled that Brooks should be allowed to represent himself at the trial. And so this turned into complete theater, a complete debacle. Uh, There were persistent disruptions. Uh, He was speaking over the prosecutors. He was asking vague, weird questions. He has no legal background. He might have watched some episodes of some court TV or something, uh, but had no idea what he was doing. He was challenging the court's jurisdiction. He declared that Daryl Brooks is not actually his name. No evidence for any of this stuff. The judge had to repeatedly remove Brooks from the court for the outburst, placed him in a nearby courtroom, and had him kind of remote in, zoom in for the proceedings, uh, monitor, uh, work via a monitor and a microphone, which he had to mute often. On Tuesday, after removing him for the prosecution's closing arguments, uh, she called him stubbornly defiant. Uh, he wasn't respecting the ruling, etc. And so uh, I, I have heard from some of uh, the Mo News community who live in Waukesha, who are looking ahead to this year's Christmas parade, uh, the first one since the tragedy last year, uh, happy that he you know, has received his punishment, but just still really reeling from what took place last year. You posted on your Instagram that chilling video where, where he was almost having a stare down with the judge. And she, it seemed like she felt threatened by him. Well, it's so crazy here because she ruled that he could defend himself. And then she was dealing with his antics the entire time. Uh, you know, I don't know how much she regrets that decision uh, to allow him to do that. But yeah, he would like a couple times, a couple instances where he would just stare at her with these deadly eyes to the point where she was so uncomfortable, she would break the court. She's like, you're staring at me again. We're stopping these proceedings. Okay, let's stay in the Midwest here, Jill, where we're learning more about that school shooting in St. Louis on Monday. All signs point 
that this could have been much, much worse. Of course, the gunman, a 19-year-old who had graduated from the school last year, shot and killed a teacher and a 15-year-old student, as well as a wounded a number of others. Uh, but it turns out he had an AR-15-style rifle and 600 rounds of ammunition. Uh, luckily, the police quickly responded and shot and killed the gunman before he was able to uh, wreak even more uh, death and destruction on the school. One thing to note here, the gunman left a handwritten note in his car trying to explain why he did what he did. The police commissioner read a portion of the note to the media that I want to just read now. Um, Quote, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I never had a girlfriend. I never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my entire life. This was the perfect storm for a mass shooter. You know, Mosh, one of the things that's so frustrating about a note like that, and obviously he was having mental health issues and and was lonely and all that, but it almost feels like he's trying to justify it. And this is where we are right now. It's like, is this what happens if if somebody is feeling isolated and alone? They think, okay, I have to be a school shooter. You know, it's, I I don't know. There's just something so disturbing about, um, you know, the way that he wrote that. That note. I don't think it should be lost on anybody that the rise in the frequency of school shootings um, has uh, coincided with the social media era where more loner kids are able to access information about school shootings, uh, see the reaction, etc. That's the concern when we talk about the, the copycat crimes and the copycat shootings here. By the way, it's the 40th school shooting this year that's resulted in injuries or deaths. Yeah, it's, I mean, really out of, unfortunately, central casting for what you expect these school shooters to be, a 19-year-old loner male with access to guns. Um, One issue that has come up, Jill, is security. According to local media, there were seven security officers assigned to this St. Louis uh, public school district, but they are not armed. Uh, That was by design, according to officials. The district says that for some people, that would cause a stir to have them armed. So it's best for our officers and the normalcy of these school proceedings not to have armed officers in the schools. Apparently, the district has 25 armed security officers that patrol and respond as needed. Uh, And so it was noted that he was able to get through a locked door. And one of the reasons the police were able to respond is these unarmed security guys uh, were able to call the police and get there quickly enough as he tried to break through one of the locked doors. In this case, witnesses say it was the shooter's gun that actually jammed, which is likely what prevented this from being that much worse. The White House once again calling for a ban on assault-style rifles. Yep, that's been a a typical response uh, from the White House, but given the state of Congress these days, that uh, ban is unlikely. Jill, I know we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, but uh, we have sponsors now in the Mo News podcast. And our first big sponsor this week is Athletic Greens. I just started taking the AG1 supplement a couple weeks ago, and I'm excited to share my experience with you and all the listeners about it. Jill, uh, I know we're getting some to you soon, right? And I need him. I, I <laughs> This sounds like exactly what I need for this point in my life where I'm unfortunately a bit sleep deprived and could use all of the, the good stuff that's, that's in this. So trying to get all your vitamins in can be hard to keep track of and can get pricey. I was actually previously taking some vitamins with breakfast, some with lunch, some others with dinner. Uh, but I've switched now over to the AG1 supplement a few weeks ago. Uh, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. I found the experience to be simple and affordable. That powder, by the way, Jill, contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics for gut health, all of this uh, for a strong immune system. As we head into the cold and flu season right now, it's your nutritional insurance policy. And the good news 
is Athletic Greens is giving all Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D as well as five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can head over to athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News. We'll have a link in the show notes to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health. Take advantage of that offer. You can get a monthly subscription or just try it for one month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S, to take ownership of your elf and pick up what they're calling the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, Jill. Okay, time now for the speed read from Deadline. Spotify will consider price hikes after Apple YouTube moves, says the CEO. He says when our competitors are raising their prices, that is really good for us. Apple just announced a price hike on Apple Music of $1 a month to $10.99 for individuals. YouTube raising the price of its premium family plan in the U.S. to $22.99 from $17.99. That is a big increase. Mosh, you have been out there in uh, California hobnobbing with tech people over the last few days at the Wall Street Journal Tech Live conference in Laguna Beach. So what were your big takeaways? My first takeaway was, what are we doing living in New York City? In New York State, Jill, California <laughs> is where it's at. I think that every time I go to California. <laughs> right? What am I doing? Growing up in the Midwest, actually, it's so funny. I like didn't even know about schools out on the West Coast. Like you, you grow up in Chicago, and they're like, okay, here, you have Big Ten colleges to choose from. And then later as an adult, I, I was like, wait, schools like UCLA and USC exist? Where like it's sunny all year long? Well, you know what it was for me? It was the 90210, um, Beverly Hills 90210, where they had their lockers outside where I'm like, that seems great. That seems wonderful. Mom, dad, what are you doing? Why are we here? Uh, But in all seriousness, (laughs) it was a a fascinating conference. Uh, By the way, as we record this, meta earnings uh, are down. Facebook earnings are down. uh, And you've seen really tech stocks get pummeled this year. A number of major CEOs spoke at this conference. The closing event on Wednesday actually was the Disney CEO, Bob Chapek. Uh, So they spoke to him. He actually interestingly described Disney as a utility, and that's how they're pricing themselves. They they view that Disney is so important to people's lives, it is up there with water and power and gas. Uh, So expect them to test test how much they can charge you for those things. That's how they're that's how vital they think they are to your home, Jill. Look, as a as a mother of a four year old girl who's obsessed with Disney princesses and also Bluey, which is now streaming on Disney Plus. It feels like it's essential, but it's not. Get over it, Disney. All right. I'll let Bob know. I should have let Bob know how you feel about that. Other headlines uh, from JPEG at Disney <laughs> is that while he has Disney Plus and Hulu, both owned by Disney uh, and ESPN, he doesn't believe that all streamers will survive, that some of the smaller ones will need to combine uh, in order to survive. The Intel CEO spoke about how chips are the future and uh, is concerned about what's going on between China and the U.S. The uh, Snapchat CEO spoke uh, their stock has been pummeled in the last year. Uh, he's very bullish, Evan Spiegel, that they will overcome and continue to grow. Uh, they've been punished in the market, but she, uh, you know, Snapchat has more users and more growth than Twitter these days. And then finally, I think the larger trend line in tech right now is will augmented reality and virtual reality really be mass adopted? And there's a genuine debate happening there. Uh, some continue to be bullish that the world of the future is augmented reality. That's Snapchat. Uh, some folks uh, at Facebook are focused on the metaverse, on more virtual reality, um, how we incorporate computers into our daily life. It uh, continues to really be at the forefront of what they're talking about. 
Okay, our next headline in the speed read comes to us from Axios. Emperor penguins have gotten protection from the U.S. Endangered Species Act. The emperor penguin is now officially considered threatened with the Fish and Wildlife Service saying climate change on the sea ice habitat is the primary threat to penguins. The current population is about 625,000, but by 2025, in just a couple years, they're expecting a drop anywhere between 26 and 47%. We could lose nearly half of the emperor penguins in just the next few years. A study last year actually predicted that, according to current trends, all emperor penguin colonies could become quasi-extinct by 2100, by the end of the century, with the sea ice disappearing. Keep in mind here, by the way, that, of course, emperor penguins are not found naturally in the U.S., but that the U.S. endangered species protections will help uh, increase funding for conservation efforts, and U.S. agencies will now be required to evaluate how fisheries and greenhouse gas-emitting projects will affect the population of the penguins down on the, on the ends of the earth. Moshe, that's actually a great point. I, I knew that those penguins were in our Antarctica. That's where they lived. It didn't occur to me, though, why we would be putting them on the uh, endangered species list here in the U.S., but uh, really <laughs> That was my thinking. I was like, how do we protect uh, the penguins if we they don't live here? But uh, anyway, clearly there are ways for us to help the penguins. Let's save the penguins, Jill. We're the U.S., Mosh. We could do anything. Okay, from CNN Travel, airline launches lottery to entice more passengers to sit in the middle seat. Virgin Australia has just launched the middle seat lottery from now until April. It's only open to people who sit in the middle seat during a flight. So basically, passengers would enter a lottery each week. The airline picks a winner. Prizes are pretty awesome. Free flights, a helicopter pub crawl, a beach vacation, including a bungee jump, Mosh, you are the world traveler here. Uh, what do you think? Would this potentially entice you to sit in the middle seat? What's notable here is that it's Virgin Australia. Leaving Australia and going anywhere is a very long flight. So like even flying across Australia, like from Perth to Sydney is like a really long flight. I think eight hours. I, I'd have to double check that. Um, those of you who know, didn't message us in. So I don't know, middle seat to me, I don't know if there's a prize in the world that would make me want to sit in the middle seat for upwards of 10 <laughs> to 20 hours trying to get off of the Australian continent and go uh, to other places. By the way, I don't consider a free bungee jump a prize. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, you know what? It's like just lower the price. You know, just lower the price of the ticket where you can actually ra- uh, justify it. A thousand percent. This next story comes to us from CNBC. Rihanna is set to release new music for the forthcoming Marvel sequel, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The singer teased the audio for the soundtrack's lead single, which is called Lift Me Up, over on Twitter. The song comes out this Friday, ahead of the film's premiere on November 11th. The song is a tribute to actor Chadwick Boseman, and it's Rihanna's first new music in six years, Jill. Rihanna, by the way, just had a baby, and she is also an amazing business person. Forbes has named her the youngest self-made billionaire woman in the U.S. with brands like Fenty Beauty and Savage by Fenty. Yeah, she really, really it. incredible. Yeah, she's totally crushing it. By the way, you know who's not officially a billionaire anymore is Kanye West, according to the new numbers based on that Adidas and Gap uh, headlines we told you about yesterday. Yes, he's officially worth $400 million. <laughs> poor, poor yay. All Aww. right. Uh, what, Wah, wah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to our Thursday podcast. We're going to be back again, Jill. We're going to go three for three this week. 
with our Three Friday edition tomorrow. We'll also have a bonus edition coming out on Friday as well with my interview with Jake Sherman on all things midterm elections, give you a sense of what Republican control uh, could mean uh, and what it means for 2024, and also what Democrats and Republicans are telling him behind the scenes right now about whether they really want to see Biden v. Trump part two in 2024. It sounds like, uh, well, you probably know what the headline is. They don't. They just don't want to say <laughs> I'm excited to do this podcast with you when you're home. I, you know, this whole yes. week you've been traveling. A major commitment uh, to the podcast. I never know what your background's going to be. I look forward to being back on the same in the same time zone as you. Uh, and let me end the podcast here so I can get over to LAX and get through uh, processing there. I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the show, follow the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. It'll make sure you don't miss a single episode, especially on those days where we drop a couple episodes on you. Uh, also, please leave us a review uh, for the podcast. It helps us grow. So if you take a quick moment on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to leave a quick five-star review, let's hope it's five stars if you're listening. You can also get everything we have to offer via the Mo News newsletter over at monews.com. Bolton.com. You can follow me over on my Instagram account at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. All right, Moshe, have a good flight. Hopefully you are not in the middle seat and see everyone tomorrow. See everyone tomorrow.